Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Shafia Monroe, and Shafia is a renowned midwife, doula trainer, motivational speaker, and cultural competency trainer. She is known as the queen mother of the midwife movement. She has been training midwives and now doulas for her entire career, Um, and she's recently been recognized of the many, many recognitions and lifetime achievements. Um, that Shafia has. She's recently been recognized by Scientific American as a health equity champion of change for her impact she is having on Black women maternal health. Shafia, I am honored to be speaking with you today. Thank you. It's such a privilege for you to uh, ask me to speak. Thank you so much, Laurie. All right. Well, let's just, um, you know, dive into it. I always start inspiring women by what are you doing right now? You have a corporation, you train people, but what is your day-to-day? What is your profession per se? My profession is to continue to create awareness that we have a serious health and equity disparity in our country, our maternal mortality and infant mortality, and creating solutions and partnering with people and organizations that want to work together to create a change. In terms of doing that, you um, clearly are having an impact on that. But how did it all begin, Shafia? So, you know, you became a champion for change um, long before it was a popular thing to do. And I and I say that just because, you know, the early work um, is often the lonely work, um, but you were committed from an early age to actually be called to um, maternal health and work in this space. How did it start? You know, uh, Laurie, I, I, <laughs> I swear I keep, I don't want to keep changing the story, but I feel the story's got, as I've gotten more gracious in the years, the story has become further and further away. So I'm going to try to give you the basics I know I've told other people. I always start by saying that it really began with my family, my upbringing. You know, I, had, I had an amazing family on all sides, paternal and maternal, and they were both activists. I'm actually writing my memoirs now, and I'm just going through my memoirs just saying, remembering my mother, you know, outside talking to young guys that would embarrass me telling, hey, it's, it's school. Like, why aren't you in school today? Or my dad being the first person to help create a community garden in Boston, in a city, because he was from Alabama rural, grew up on a farm. So he was excited when the Boston City Council created the, the so-called uh, community garden, you know, way back in the, in the 60s. So I just watched my family uh you know, do things that made a difference. And I was always taught that if you see a problem, you know, act, don't sit around and complain, go do something. So when I learned, and I want to be a vet. So I always tell people too, being a veterinarian means that you care about vulnerable things. And so I believe that my love for animals and wanting to help animals 
uh, transmitted to people once I realized that there was a, a crisis in my community, Roxbury, Massachusetts, back then having, you know, every state claims having to have the highest black mortality, but at that time, Roxbury, Mass, you know, was a very high rate of black babies dying. And I'm 16, maybe, and I'm, you know, understand that Harvard's here. I'm at Boston University's here, and Tufts, and and uh, Northeastern, and all, understanding all this. Yeah, my family had me to be raised to be very aware of the politics of, of the world in general. So just wondering why we still have this problem. And I always tell people, you know, you're sitting around the table with your family for holidays. No one's talking about babies dying of any race. So I really didn't know that babies were dying. It's not, it's not a conversation that people have. But when I found out the babies were dying, particularly black babies during the 70s, where we had the civil rights movement happening and the Black Panther Party happening and do for self, that's my era. I said, oh, I have to do something. So I researched infant mortality. And in my research, found out about the word midwife. Uh, they were talking about the black great midwives. I'm like, who are these amazing women who are like walking through the woods at night by themselves to help people have their babies and bringing people food and meeting in the churches together and organized like, oh my God, like these are angels. I said, I want to be like them. And so I just got um, totally enthralled by the life, which I still am today. My whole training for the doula is built on the legacy of the trans-century African-American midwife because of the work that she did, what she represents as being a pillar in her community and extending beyond just catching babies, but actually catching her community in every level to have a healthy world. And so that is where I, I come from. And so with that said, it was quite a journey, as you mentioned, being lonely at 17, 18, 19, a young black girl uh, without children, not married in Roxbury in Boston, wanting to be a midwife without having any images for me to follow at that time. So I just stood around at the University of Massachusetts asking every black woman who walked by, was she a midwife? And finally, uh, those who didn't think I was crazy finally said, yes, I am. She was from Africa, I believe Uganda. And that was the beginning of my training of just grabbing people, saying, I need to do this work. You know, I'm, I'm committed to saving black babies and I need to become a midwife. So I did that for a while. And then midwives started coming, you know, they started hearing about me. They, they were approaching me. And then I joined the Masters Midwives Alliance, the Massachusetts Midwives Alliance. And, um, and I created my first nonprofit. I think I was 24, the traditional childbearing group, the first nonprofit that, that was for increasing Black midwives and reducing mortality in the nation that really had a home birth um, platform. So we actually trained Black women in Roxbury to be midwives and to do home births. And, and, it makes, and it makes such a difference. So one of the things I just wanted to ask you about is why, just an obvious question perhaps, but why does it make a difference to have a Black midwife, you know, helping helping a mother, helping with the pregnancy, helping with the birth? Because Black women and also Black families, including the Black partner, they feel that they can trust that person. Uh, a Black midwife understands the culture, they know the history of the oppression and the abuse, and there's a, uh, an interest in making sure that this family, this woman has the best birth outcome. So they, they go the extra mile and, and they listen to Black women. And we hear that movement now, listen to Black women, majority of maternal mortality rates for Black women. And I will bring up our high profile Serena Williams and, and Beyonce and others they told the medical provider who was not Black 
that I have a problem that something's wrong and they were ignored to the point that, you know, uh, Serena Williams lived, but many others, of course, we know they died. And so having a black midwife, uh, they, they look like you, they understand you, they know how you do things, you know, they laugh with you. It's, it's just so nice. It's so nice. And feeling good when you're pregnant and feeling safe at that prenatal visit means that your respiration's at the right rate, your, your blood pressure's at the right rate. You're more prone to be honest about how you're really feeling. Are they going to take my children? They're going to report me. Are they judging me? All those things aren't even in your head. You can just be yourself. And that in itself creates better outcome. And I want to add again, I believe the care is more personalized. There's a is an interest. They did a study years ago that why do white children do well in school? They said because white teachers love white children and they go the extra mile to help them. When we see black children at black schools or black uh, faculty, or even when we have the black uh, HBCUs, black historical black colleges, why do the students do better? Because the black professors take that extra time to make sure they do well. And that's where we see the difference. It shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately it's still that way. Well, you t- in, in your speaking, when you're out there educating others, you talk a lot about cultural competency. So, so in terms of you know, what that means and how impactful it is for the safety, for the care, for the outcomes um, for mothers and for infants, it's clearly there. I mean, this, there are many studies um, to confirm that. But as you do this um, teaching, how, how close or far are we from just having you know, a appropriate cultural competency in the medical system today? We're very, we're very below where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not, we're not there because the whole thing with cultural competency is conceptual, but you have to actually live it. And the one that I like to talk about the most is called this five competencies, but the one I focus on is called cross, cross-cultural knowledge. And the way that we get cross-cultural knowledge is not by reading about somebody or watching a documentary, you have to actually be among the people, which is why people, you know, students take trips and they go to India, they'll go to France, or they'll go to, you know, um, to, to parts of Africa and live for six months, because then you have a chance to really be embedded in the culture, because culture is not, culture is not spoken, it's lived, it's what I see you do, you know, it's what you did this morning when you showed your hat and you moved it, you know, that could be a cultural thing, I, I wouldn't know just by reading it, it's, it's the non-written behavior that we have to understand. How does a pregnant woman, you know, rub her belly or grab her water? And so we don't we don't cross culture enough. We're in our silos. I'm in my, you know, we're redlined by policy, by government, where, you know, Latinas live somewhere, Chinatown someplace, you know, little Africa someplace, and Black community, the white community, and nobody really it's over unless you go through a store and bump each other at the mailbox. We're not really living among each other. So how do we know about each other? So we still have segregation. And so when these white doctors come into the hospitals, they have no idea what black women do or how black men treat their, their wives or how we talk to our children other than what was read. And unfortunately, the majority of data on black families is very negative. You know, everyone's violent. Everybody doesn't care. Nobody breastfeeds. You know, everybody has HIV. It's, it's all such uh, untrue information. So in terms of where we are being very, you know, subpar below where we absolutely need to be, what what are you already doing about this in the programs and the training um, that you do? How do we either either educate or change the numbers? What do you think are the important things that we need to be doing right now? 
Well, for my work right now, I haven't worked in public policy and I still deal with many, uh, I'll just say mainstream, which is a code word for white organizations. So I work uh, with many mainstream organizations for the last 40 years, but it really has not been affected, to be honest, Laurie, in my opinion. So what I've done now is really has focused on just educating the black community to empower them of who they are and what their rights are and how to be healthy. So when they walk into the medical environment, regardless of the race of that individual, they're armed with enough information they can advocate for themselves and they know what the law is. They can make sure they get uh, quality care. I think that that is um, critically important. I mean, if, you know, for, for patients to advocate for what they need and the stories that you bring up of Serena Williams and Beyonce, just like, you know, incredible, um, you know, people, brand names, and yet they too had um, issues through their own experiences. So it just, to me, it's just so remarkable of how, um, how ingrained these issues are in the healthcare system. So I think educating people about what their rights are um, is an, a great place um, to start. I wanted to turn the conversation to some of the you know, current day issues that we're dealing with. We're just seeing the nation's overturn of Roe v. Wade. We're seeing, you know, just um, you know, this creates um, an enormous challenge for women out there seeking um, whether they want a family or want to change the course of a pregnancy. How do you see these issues affecting Black women specifically? Well, you know, I'm glad you said that. I just posted recently where someone said Roe versus Wade is going to increase the maternal mortality. And I said, actually, that's not true, in my opinion, because Amateur mortality is already high before that even happened. We're already having a bad outcome. So that's really not going to make a difference. It's already bad. So what I say through my trains that we, um, first of all, just for the record, I definitely believe in choice. I believe that people have the right to birth when, how, where, and with whom they choose. And that includes even home births. I put it all together. If I don't have the right to have a home birth and have a midwife at home, that is just as wrong as not having the right decide if I want to maintain a pregnancy or even become pregnant. So it's all women's issue. One is no better than the other. My course is called Full Circle. It's all a circle. Each piece makes the pie not fall apart. So I want people to understand that. Don't fight for abortion rights, but you don't fight to create, to let women live who choose to have a baby. And you don't fight for men not to be shot down who can't be a father to their children. You don't fight for Black women not to be shackled in prison. They can even open their legs to have a baby. It's all relevant. It's all relevant. And so I just want to put that out there. And so what I do around that issue, what I can do is to, you know, um, I'm very political. I would say birth is political. To make sure that when I train doulas, and I've trained 5,000 women since 2002 to be doulas. So there's a lot of people out there who... Um, have this our philosophy, which is to be active, to be engaged in social and political change. But at the same time, even the basic thing like Lori, the women I talk to when I do these trainings, I love training and talking to these women, they don't know when they ovulate. They don't know the signs of pregnancy. So they're taking the app away from us right now. You don't even know when you got pregnant. You don't know how to count a paper calendar to count your ovulation day to get an early termination. That's the first problem. Even for Roe versus Wade, it was always a problem that women no longer know about their bodies, that we rely on a stick to say that we're pregnant or an app. 
you know, and, and not know that, hey, you know, there's all these physiological signs that you can prove that you're pregnant. So I'm working on that part. But if someone knows when they are pregnant, they can go get the morning after pill and have a better chance of terminating if they choose and wait until their six months. They didn't, they didn't know they were pregnant. So education um, is definitely where we have to go with, with that so far as what I can do in my training to teach my doulas, to teach their daughters and their sisters and their community and friends how to determine when pregnancy comes you know how to know your ovulate without your phone what a concept where do you do all this education so you know, part of the issues i mean these are not um classroom conversations these are you know in the community and you know having trained thousands of women to be midwives and doulas, where does the training occur? How does that education happen? And to have the impact, you are having an impact on these numbers, on the lives of people, bringing babies into this world safely, bringing, you know, continuing the, the safe health um, for these mothers. But where does it happen? It, uh, you know, these are not in, um, like I said, classroom types of conversations. Uh, so how, how does it happen? Well, well, first of all, I have because, as you mentioned, my career is what I do. I'm an educator. I'm a public influencer. So I actually hold classes. You know, we have a 30-hour class that people sign up for, and they learn all this over a period of four days in intense is what I talk about from Thursday at 9 a.m. to graduate on Sunday. They have a book that they read. They have two years to finish the completion of the training. So they have all this information. Those are the ones who come forward and say, hey, I want to be a doula. I want to know how this works, you know, training. So that's one group. The other group is that we hold conferences. We just had our Alabama Black Midwife Conference, over 130 people. And my whole thing, Lori, I train leaders. So that's where the excitement comes in. Everybody I train is a leader. And I tell them that you're a leader. Now it's your turn to go out. You know, each one, teach one. So can you imagine 5,000 people have this information and they're talking to 100 more people. And so it just keeps replicating. And I have to say, I'm very proud now, 40 years later, to see all these women who I knew when they were in their 20s were now in their 40s, who are in leadership positions and kicking butt, doing a great job. And it's like, you know, they call Mama Shafia. I'm so proud of you. This is, this is what it takes. It takes next generation to be raised up. So those are some of the regular platforms. But then um, I was just at an event the other day. It was a, a youth event for internship. I talked to a teacher and a young girl who was 20 going to law school. And of course, that conversation came up. Uh, my Instagrams, my Facebook, my whole social media, my Twitter, uh, all these uh, all these conversations. I'm very consistent. This is what I live, breathe, and believe in. This is my calling. You know, this is what, I, this is what I'm meant to do in the world. This is my purpose of being on earth. I take it very seriously. And so I just educate and not just the women, you know, the men know, too, if I see um, any age man, you know, and we happen to be sitting down, my question, oh, do you have children? Do you have a daughter? Do you have a son? And we just start the conversation. And to be honest, Laurie, it's not so much also about maternal mortality. It really is about the Black culture that we're not taught. As I mentioned prior, and that's where the power of what I do comes in. And that's why the Black community and other communities appreciate what I do, because we break the, uh, how do I say, the, 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 uh, the untruths where, you know, oh, I'm just a black woman, you know, I'm just, I'm just a nobody, you know, nobody cares about my kids and nobody cares about me, I'm just not valuable. So what does it matter? And, and, and so to learn that you come from a, a continent where life began, that has all the resources that, that you have brought this country against your will and still you thrived, 
and that on the plantation, it was secret society and you were still able to find the foods that you recognize. He was able to communicate with the natives who actually liked you because you have more in common with them than the oppressor and how that continued to your delivering white and black babies because your skill set was so great and how the foods that we ate on the South were really foods that came from Africa, all the grits and, and the watermelon comes from Africa and the sesame seeds come from Africa and the mint comes from Africa and the castor that we take for pregnancy comes from Africa. I teach all that. People like, you want to sit down like, oh my God, I had no idea that I'm this great person. And then your whole oxytocin goes up, which is the love hormone because now you feel self-love. And that's what we need. It, it, you know, it's, it's really true. We need love. Everyone needs to feel loved. Everyone needs to be loved. And if we could just, you know, think of that concept. But for right now, you know, I, I focus again on the African-American community because they're, this is a community that has the most untruths about it and the least amount of support and never got their reparations and were free with nothing uh, left with, with a rag or almost new, with no place to go, no education. And so we have to talk about what that means. And if we do have material mortalities, not because we are genetically inferior. In fact, we are, I won't say almost superior, the fact that we could live through the smallpox, the hunger and the abuse and the rapes and still build this country up, literally the White House, almost everything you see that's built, we built it. You know, we made the bricks to build these buildings, et cetera. And so when we think about that and I teach that in a way that empowers people to see what their greatness is, all of that adds to them going into the hospital saying, hey, you know what? I do want that blood test. I know what anemia means. I learned what anemia means. I know that my number is too low. I'm paying you. What can you do to make me no longer be anemic? And I now do to the, the client to say to the teach to do and tell their client to go in the hospital and say, hey, I'm a black woman. I know that the death rate is very high. What are you going to do to protect me? You know, how can how can you show that you're going to make sure that I don't die in childbirth? That needs to be the question, not just, okay, thank you, Doc, but no. Have you heard the statistics? I'm sure you have. If not, here they are, bring them. We shouldn't have to do all that work, but we do to live. And how are you going to protect me to not be statistic under your watch? And Shafia, just just hearing you, I mean, the, the I mean, there's so much passion. Obviously, 40 years of going from you know just being uh, you know and um, a midwife, you know, working with so many families to now training thousands and impacting tens of thousands, if not more of humans. Um, and you're giving what I hear you saying is giving power um, to people to take control of things where they otherwise, you know, would just, you know, might expect just need to have trust, but that's not um, the reality. And you're giving power um, to so many people in the work that you do. It's just so, it's just so inspiring to hear you. Um, as we close out on the conversation, you said you're writing your memoir. So I'd just love to hear um, a reflection that you might have as someone who has 40 years doing this work. Um, did you did you expect to have the level of impact that you truly are having, not just now, but for generations to come? Um, let's see. I would say no. I didn't expect... Uh, you know, my mother passed years ago and she said when I was little, we had seven siblings and she said, she would look at me and say, you're going to do okay. She always said, you're, you're going to do okay. I never knew what that meant. But obviously what she saw as a child, she knew that I'm going to be that one that's going to do something wonderful. Um, so I remember that, but I didn't know what she meant. So yes, I'm, I'm excited and I'm proud and I'm happy that I'm able to help uh, the world because you know, the information, everyone teach one 
is impacting the world. So I hope I answered that question. You, you did answer that question. And if, do you have just again, as we close out here, I could I could listen to you for a long time, Shavita, I tell you, um, any sort of like words of advice for perhaps, you know, younger women just starting out who might also want to, um, you know, have the level of impact that you clearly are having um, for this world? Well, uh, like you said, Lori, in the beginning, it was lonely because you sometimes you're doing something that's very different and people aren't comfortable with what you're doing or they're not aware of what you're doing. They don't understand it. And you know in your heart that is what you want to do, then don't let anything discourage you. So, you know, fine. So I remember, you know, my father wondering, why, why are you running around trying to live with babies at home? You know, I'm from the South. We had to be born at home. Why do you want to do that? You know, that's, he didn't say backwards, but basically that's what he was saying. And I know he didn't understand what I was doing. He didn't understand the, the political pull that was happening at that time. But I say, you know what, Dad, it's, it's important that we keep our tradition. And so for the young ladies out there or the any lady who is deciding that she is a leader, claim your power. Don't ask for permission. Do what you know is right. Do what you have to do. Do with fun. Enjoy it. Do it with gratitude. You know, uh, don't ask names. Just go forward and, and, and grab support along the way. Sometimes it's your, it's your spouse or you know, find a support group. I read a lot of books. You know, I read books. And to be honest, I think about Harriet Tubman. You know, find that. And also I love Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc and Harriet Tubman are two women spirits that, that I think of often about really brave women, young, who did remarkable things without anyone ever supporting them. And so, you know, find that ancestor that you look up to and hold them and think about what they did and, 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 and follow them and that strength and then that power. Well, there is so much strength and power in your word, Shafia, and um, I'll look forward to that memoir when you have it. And again, it's been an honor to speak with you. I really appreciate this conversation. This has been an inspiring women episode. We've been speaking with Shafia Monroe and Shafia. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. Have a wonderful day. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.